Hendricks, get in there. Get in there. It's Tuesday night. Get Oregon has scored a touchdown. Time to break down the upcoming battle. Can you believe it? Believe Talking it. X's and O's with the coaches, players, and experts. Welcome to Ducks Gridiron with Brian Perkins and Eric Ringering on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 7.50 and 102.9 the game. As Wheeler will boot this in very, very high wobbly spiral that's going to be caught on the right-hand side totally away from everybody. This is going to be returned for a touchdown. Inside the five, touchdown Utah. A punt that was so far off the side of the foot of Wheeler, it went left. Oregon covered right, and Andre Godfrey, who was a strong safety, way on the right side of the field, took it in, and then there was nobody in front of him. Oh, boy. Where to begin, Ringer? Where to begin? The debacle at Autzen. Has this game had a name yet? You know, like uh, last year was called the drop when Kalen Clay fumbled it at the one-yard line. Uh, I don't know what to call this, Ringer, and I honestly, it's it's hard to know where to begin. 417-7575, Ducks Great Iron is your outlet as a Ducks fan to call in, to talk about the team, to rail on them, uh, to, you know, maybe give your opinion, whatever you want at 417-7575. We'll be taking calls the entire show, but Ringer, um, I play, I, we were talking what highlight cut to play because there were so many for Utah in that game. But I like the idea that you recommended of the special teams because it just encapsulates everything that went wrong in that game. They got beat offensively, defensively, special teams. Every phase of football, they weren't just beaten. They were dominated. They were dominated. You asked for a way to describe that game. I like to think of it as the embarrassment at Autzen. That's how embarrassment I've been at Otzen, okay. re- referring to it the last couple of days. That's fair. I mean, it was a deba- debacle everywhere. It, coaching were, were making bad decisions. Running didn't do anything. Quarterbacks couldn't even get the ball. They couldn't hand it off or throw the ball. Linemen couldn't block. Linemen couldn't actually get through on the other side. It, man, it, it was awful. It was it was really a debacle. It was bad. It was really bad. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. It's it's something that I don't think we will see again this season from Oregon. That bad of a beatdown. Uh, it, it was incredible. It was shocking, and I think even if you were at home thinking, okay, Utah can win this game, there's no way that you were like, yeah, so what they're going to do is like a fake punt, and um, uh, by the way, uh, Devontae Booker's biggest play of the game will be a touchdown pass of 25 yards. Like, <laughs> it was just everything. It was just the most bizarre game, and Utah would have won those game with, with that game without trick plays, but it just, those types of plays just showed you the way the night was going for Oregon. Yeah, I mean, those kinds of things I can understand because, you know, you could catch a team off guard if they're not ready for it, they're not prepared for that. What I can't understand is how a guy like Travis Wilson, who had 286 yards total coming into the game, who had zero passing touchdowns coming into the game, who average yards per attempt was less than seven yards coming into the game, just torched the hell out of that defense. Four touchdowns. Almost 300 yards receiving to go with 100 yards rushing. Travis Wilson passed for more touchdown passes than the entire Ducks offense scored. That tells you all you need to know about that game. Uh, let's go to the phones, 417-7575. We'll take your calls all night. We have some questions that we want to ask you as well. Tom's called in, in up in Seattle. Tom, welcome. Uh, thank you. This is the uh, the official start of the Mark Helfrich era. You know, he had he had Marcus Mariota to cover up for him last year, but you're seeing right away, immediately, on all aspects, both sides of the ball, the guy can't coach. 
He had the worst offense in the nation at Colorado. Absolutely terrible. The quarterback can do nothing. The offensive line can do nothing. We've got more talent this year than we had last year, minus at the quarterback spot, and it will look like the Beavers. We look worse than the Beavers. Well, Tom, don't you don't, don't you think that maybe is a – I mean, look look what Oregon State did on the road at Michigan, who is much worse than Michigan State. Oregon played tit-for-tat with one of the best teams in the nation. Oregon State is getting beat down by, by teams that have, you know, some semblance of talent. Well, I didn't mean Oregon State this year. I mean, in general, you know, Oregon State <laughs> being an uh, incompetent team. Gotcha. Okay, Tom. So, so you think it's time for? Uh, I mean, it's already time to make a change at coaching staff. I mean, is, is that where I you're going here? Never wanted the guy in the first place. Okay. I knew, I knew this day was coming, and I didn't know when. But when Mariota left, that that you know would signal it. Okay, Tom. Well, the, the talent that they've got on both sides of the ball. I mean, we've got two of the best running backs in the Pac-10 can't run the ball. The play calling is atrocious. Mark Helfrich looks clueless on the sidelines. All he goes, all he ever says is, "We'll get him next time." Or "Good job," you know. It's just a bunch of platitudes. The guy has no strategy at all. He's never had a strategy. Look at him back in Colorado. And I've granted they don't have any talent, but still, give me a break. All right, Tom. Thanks for the call. That opens up a line at four one seven seventy five seventy five. Ringer Tom is fired up. We'll get to some more calls here in just a second. Um, I I have to say I'm not surprised that coaches' heads are already being called for here uh, this early into the show. I just think that aren't we overreacting a little bit to the worst home loss since what the '80s? I mean, th- this is this game. While yes, Oregon is clearly taking a step back without Mariota, they have a lot of question marks. This game is not indicative to the Oregon Ducks talent pool right now, right? Like they, if they play Utah ten times, they're not losing. They're not Utah's not dropping sixty plus on them at home, and Oregon's not only scoring whatever three touchdowns or two touchdowns, whatever. Yeah, talent pool is not the problem here, and I mean I think we're gonna wait a segment on this, but I guess he kind of brought it on right now. But the problem is there is no quarterback to run this offense. Uh, Vernon Adams either is incapable because he's injured or he's just incapable. He 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 cannot see the field right now, or he's too scared to throw the ball. He is not allowing himself to get hit and not allowing himself to actually run the read option the way it's supposed to, where you have a pass-run option. He, right now, he can't do anything to help the team. And your second-best option, Lockie, yeah, I mean, I, his second interception was most one of the most uh, atrocious throws and despicable actual decisions that you can make as a quarterback. You can't make that play on the sideline, the defender in front of you, going to your right when you're throwing across your body to a guy who has a defender in front of him on a dart. Like if you want to try to make that throw, you, you got to lob it up. That was just a just a total total he, uh, awful play. I will say this looking back at the to to what he was saying about coaching. Obviously there's going to be a fall off from Chip Kelly, a man who revolutionized college football and football in general, um, you know, in his tenure at Oregon and now in the NFL to Mark Helfrich. And you have noticed certain fall off not in terms of talent, but speed of play, little attention to details, a little bit sloppy out there, penalties, things like that. There, There is a noticeable fall-off from Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich. Now, but weren't you expecting that to a certain extent? Like Marcus Mariota leaving, you know there's going to be a fall-off when one of the greatest players of all, the greatest player of all time in your program leaves. Chip Kelly, the greatest head coach in the history of Oregon Ducks football? Oh, absolutely. Okay, without a doubt. 
He leaves. No matter who you bring in, there's going to be a fall off. And my question is, and I, I should have asked this to Tom before he let it go, but who do you bring in that's better than Mark Helfrich? And has he had a fair shake yet at the University of Oregon? He's played two seasons and four games so far in the Ducks. He's for the Ducks. He's been one of the winningest coach through two first two seasons as head coach at Oregon. Has he gotten a fair shake? I just don't know if the seat should be hot yet for a guy. I understand that the expectations are high, but you're not making the college football playoff every year. You're not winning the Pac-12 conference every year. No team does that. Are the expectations too high? I mean, that's kind of how it feels to me for the coaching staff. The ex- expectations probably are too high. I think it's unfair to judge him based off of one loss because the guy did go to a national championship in year or two. That's what Chip did. Now, And he had the team rebound nicely, by yes, the way, after the, Arizona and the and, sky was falling. And I think falling. that's huge. Yes. When the team was completely dismantled with injury, just everywhere, riddled with injuries, he had the team rally around that, got them to it. And I know a lot of that was Marcus, maybe all of it. But I don't think that it's fair to judge him just yet based off of that. To go back to his points about Colorado, I mean, those were some terrible Colorado teams. Colorado has been terrible for the last, like, 10 years. And when Helfridge came on board at Oregon, he did win assistant coach of the year when uh, Jeremiah Masoli was the quarterback. So it looks like he knows what he's doing as far as developing quarterbacks. I don't know if he can actually run a team. I don't. I don't think that you can judge that based off what he's done just yet. So I, I will monitor what he's doing really closely, but I think it's too early to say that he just can't flat out coach. Four one seven seventy five seventy five, and we'll get into the defense and Don Pelham as well because um, his seat might be getting a little warm uh, at the very least. Let's go back to the phones, though. Mel has called in. He's in Grants Pass. Mel, welcome to the show. Hey, well, I was, uh, you know me, I'm very positive about the Ducks, and I was, of course, saying they would beat Utah. I mean, truly. Would you right now trade our players for their players? I wouldn't. And I really think that our coaches did not, you know, they got blindsided. I don't know. I think they've got a certain system where they're, they're used to Mariota and all of these great quarterbacks. And we've got all these players do like Oregon State does, get alley and get all these running backs and run the crap out of it. And give it to Royce 40 times a game like LSU and those guys do. We can beat these teams. We could have beat Utah if we'd done that and get our defense just to run around and hit people. I just don't see the fire. I think we need to have some coaches that want to win. Okay, Mel, thanks for the call, 417-7575. Uh, to, to what Mel is saying, Royce Freeman, while his numbers have not been spectacular this year, and we'll get into his play this season in general a bit later on in the show ringer, but he did average – Five and a half yards per carry. Um, I know he had the 20-yard run, which helped obviously pump those stats up a little bit. But I I have to say, they got down so quickly by halftime. They were, what was it, 27 to 13? You still had time in that game to feed him um, and to milk the clock at that point. Or, you know, I mean, you didn't have to worry about the clock, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I get where he's coming from because he is the most talented player in the Oregon Ducks system right now. Royce Freeman is hands down an NFL-level talent. But that being said, you get down so quickly in the third quarter there to Utah, and you kind of have to abandon your game plan at that point, don't you? I mean, you have to start playing catch-up. Yeah, there's no there's no reason to be running at that point. Like You were down by more than two touchdowns. I, I brought this stat up earlier. Utah scored on nine consecutive drives. Nine consecutive drives. That means at a bare minimum, offensively, you're going to score 27 points, which is more than the Ducks scored that entire game. So if if your defense is playing that poorly... 
that there's really nothing that your run game can do to help you. Having said that, I don't think the defense is the biggest problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. But I think that if you could get a quarterback in there who actually could run the offense, doesn't need to be anything super fantastic, but needs to be able to have a legitimate run threat option who can get the ball down the field if he has to, and he's not going to turn the ball over, then it will change the way the defense plays. You can play, play a prevent defense the way it's supposed to be played, where you don't let guys get, I don't know, 20-yard chunks the entire time. You you can gamble. You can go for interceptions and fumbles and things like that. But you can't do that if you're losing. And that that's... So I, I do agree with some of these points about the coaches. Like there are just brainless, mindless decisions being made there. There are four one seven seventy five seventy five. I I will say this: Utah destroyed Oregon in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And honestly, I'm not that surprised because Utah has so much size; they can recruit those types of players. Now, top to bottom, would you say that Utah's a more talented team? No, they don't get the recruits to the level that Oregon does, but they are clearly the better team. Or at least they were in that game. Oregon didn't beat themselves. Utah beat Oregon. They beat them down in a big way. Yeah, Utah came in and they just destroyed. They did. They did. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. We'll continue to take your calls. Uh, One more before the break. Stan, hold if you're there though. We'll get to more here. Peter's called in in Sherwood. Our good friend Peter. Okay, okay. You were you were pessimistic last Tuesday. You called in. I give you credit. I'm sorry that they lost. I thought that Oregon was going to win with relative ease. They didn't. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? I, I would just like to say, first of all, Duck fans, step off the ledge, okay? It's called a rebuilding year. You know, Mark Helfrich, don't blame him. He took him to the freaking national championship last year, okay? And he had Marcus Mariota. Okay, it's it's a down year. So what? When's the last time a Pac-12 team outside USC has been dominant in the top five for five, six, seven years in a row? You can't do it every year. And so what? Okay, it's a it's a rebuilding year. So we'll be fine. We have a strong program. Relax, fans. I mean, oh my gosh. Also, Perkins, I wanted to congratulate you cuz I knew I knew you were pulling for Utah big time this week. Um, you don't need to congratulate me. I was I was basically as stunned as everyone else was watching that game. Um, uh, I I was sitting at home and my mouth was just open basically the entire second half going, "How is this possible?" Cuz you actually tweeted at me and you said at halftime, and you said the Ducks are going to come back, and I thought the exact same thing that you did. Honestly, I thought the Ducks were going to come back, Peter. And Oregon just—I don't know what happened in the second half, but it was obviously clear by about midway through the third quarter this game was over. Oh yeah, you know it was backup quarterback. You know our team's diminished. Like I said, rebuilding year, and you know I can't say I was totally shocked. And I was at like this huge cocktail party over the weekend, so I only. I actually only got to see a few minutes of the game. I kept on checking in, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, ducks are down. Pour me another champagne cocktail, and I mingled. So, I mean, whatever. It's it's a little bit depressing, and, you know, we are so used to having such a powerful team. So I think we're going to have to get a little bit used to uh, not being on the top this year, and, and hopefully we can rebuild and recruit and, and get back up there next year. All right, Peter. Well, I'm up against a break, but thanks for calling in. I'm sorry about the uh, – I know you're a little depressed, and don't have too many champagne cocktails before the game against Colorado, okay? They'll, they'll rebound fine. I won't. And, hey, Seahawks had a shutout at home, which is great. So <laughs> they did. Doing well. They did. I'll have to get a, a Seahawks gridiron going, Peter. Thanks for the call, my friend. Hello. All right, there he goes. Exile John, Stan, stay on hold, 417-7575. If you want to call in, please do, at Perkins Radio 13 as well, at Ringering 45 on Twitter. You can weigh in there. Another question, something for you to ponder. 
was Vernon Adams pulled too early in this game? And I was talking with Alex Moore, who's uh, he he brought this up yesterday. It was an interesting point. He and I were talking. He's he's an update anchor. And he he's an engineer for this show. Vernon Adams, the hook came out pretty quick for him, and that was surprising. Do you agree with that decision by Mark Fritch? I don't know. I think it was a little too early. 417-7575. If you're on hold, stay there. Back in just a few minutes here. It's Perkins and Ringer, Ducks Gridiron on the game. This is Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Ringer, I got to give you some credit here. It's uh, Perkins and Ringer back with you, eight to ten, four one seven seventy five seventy five. So, if you're wondering about the musical choice tonight, Ringer and I, we always try to come up with a theme for the show. I I told you I was like, you know, what we should do music that was popular in 1998 because that was the last time Colorado beat Oregon. It was 1998, and I said. Booyah! He said, challenge Let's accepted, and let me knock this out of the park real quick. So you'll be hearing some pretty awesome throwback to, well, for Ringer, you and I, that was like middle school. Yeah, possibly Sixth ninth grade. grade. Yeah. It, right right in that wheelhouse. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. Ninth grade, eighth grade, somewhere. No, in I that. think it was eighth grade. I Yeah. Yes, it was. So, I remember something spe- special happened before. So yeah, late 90s music. Maybe it'll cheer you up a little bit. I know it's been tough out there. 417-7575. You've been waiting patiently on hold. Let's get back to Exile. He's in Sherwood, our good buddy. Exile, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Good evening. Good evening. uh, Thank you, sir. Hey, give me a little bit of a leash here because my mind is just going 100 million miles an hour. Nothing's new, but it's just... I'm just rattled every which way thinking about this. I think uh, my good buddy Pete, the tulip man in Sherwood, dude, he's got the right idea. I mean, fancy to just relax a little bit. Uh, Obviously, you don't replace the greatest quarterback in school history, only Heisman Trophy winner in school history, and expect just to bring in a Division II quarterback and everything just be lovely. So here's the problem, though, I have. Okay, right now, Utah's got a phenomenal defense, probably the best front seven we're going to face all year outside of SC, maybe. They were a little bit hungrier probably than SC will be, uh, getting after Oregon at home and having a lot to prove from last year what we did to them in Utah. So here's what I'm trying to say. The O-line got kicked around, the special teams got kicked around, and the defense just got kicked around. So here's my question. Give the coach a chance, absolutely. You can't fire him after, after one game of an absolute – Beat town. I mean, we've been doing it to teams for seven years. Our time was coming. You just didn't want it to happen at home uh, on that stage. But here's the problem, and I need your guys' help. I really need your expertise. You guys get paid for a living for doing this to break this down. Schematically, what the heck is going on with the defense? The talent is there. They absolutely have better recruits under Helfrich than they have under Chip Kelly. You can look at every national publication of star ranking and top classes, and there's only maybe been one class Chip did that's been better. So we got the talent. But how are people going right at the seam from a tight end position? You have a blitzing safety. You expect a D lineman to get up out of his stance and drop back into coverage and cover that? There's guys running free everywhere. I mean, I get misassignments in week one and week two. By week three and four, people need to know. So that's why I point at the defensive coordinator. I won't be happy if Pelham is gone after this year and you replace him with a guy like John Neal, who's a player's – I mean, players love playing for that guy. He recruits his tail off at DB. I think he might do a far better job. Or you go outside the fold and you bring in a high, high-level guy. I think the system is not working because, A, we have the recruit, we have the talent, people are running right by people, people are confused, hands on the hips, which way did he go? And number two, there's no pressure on the quarterback, which makes 
even more of a problem in the secondary and a young secondary. So help me try to understand. Do you guys agree with me? Is it schematics? Is it coaching? Is it people not in the right place? Or, or what? Is the, is the guys just young and just dumb? Thanks for the call, Exile. Um, and Ringer, I know you go to the games. I, I'm with him. I think that, and, and I, we are curious from you, and you were talking about this during the break, Ringer. What is the biggest problem that you see on this team right now as it stands? What is the biggest concern for you? 417-7575. But getting back to his question, um, first of all, Ringer, I know you noticed something about the secondary and how soft guys are playing in coverage. Can you just kind of talk about that a little bit? The corners, um, obviously, they don't have a lot of faith in these guys with the way that they're playing them. And by the way, Don Pelham plays base defense most of the time, correct? Yes, from what you've seen out there. I mean, they play base defense, and a lot of teams base, do that. Cover three almost every time. Almost every single time. So what have you seen, especially from the secondary, um, in terms of their coverage that you see as an issue? Well, let me let me answer that question after I get to Exile's questions that he had there. I think that almost everything he said is accurate. I yeah. and, and let me first say that I used to work for Don Pelham, so I, I have a personal relationship with He's the guy. He's a great guy. And he is not getting it done. It's hard for me to just say something like that, but there is a lot of talent on that defense. Mondo, Buckner, Balducci, Christian French, Tarodney Prevo, Joe Walker. These are guys who are better players than most of the guys they had before them. And that defense looks like complete dog poop right now. The corners are very young. The corners are a real problem right now, and they're making really, really rookie-level mistakes because... Cover three is about the most base defense you can have. That I mean, that's what you that's what you play in high school most of the time. No blitz, cover three. That that's what you do. Yeah. And these guys are getting beat over the top. They're getting beat on the hitch. They're getting beat on the out and up. That is something that it's the wrong personnel might be there might be in there at that position. But not tackling and leaving guys open on the seam, that's stuff that should the scheme should take care of that if you just tell your guys to be in the right position and you coach them the right way. I don't think they're being coached properly on the defensive side of the ball. Now, what was the other question you asked me? I kind of trailed well, off there. It was just kind of about the secondary as well because he just mentioned guys getting beat over the top. I mean, Travis Wilson, he may not have a great arm, but when you're giving guys, I mean, there were guys with 10 yards of cushion wide open in the end zone. I mean, it was just, it, it was an absurd, uh, how many guys broke down defensively? For example, you know, the Britton Covey touchdown, 26-yard uh, pass from Travis Wilson. They dropped eight into coverage on that play. There were seven guys blocking for Utah on that play, and they still scored a touchdown. They had an eight to three, eight to four Numbers advantage in the secondary, and Covey still found a way to get wide open. Yeah, off of a basic it, route, just, dude. It's just a fly it, route. It's look, guys. Guys shouldn't be missing this many positions. There shouldn't be this many broken plays. Like that comes down to coaching. It really does. Uh, some of that comes down to the players. Look, I'll say that I think Glenn Ionacho is pretty bad. I, I think there's no reason for that guy to play. Uh, at this point anymore, but he's talented in the fact that he he's an athlete. I'll it, let me liken this to a situation that happened a few years ago. Walter Thurman, when he was a freshman, was a pretty bad corner. He was a guy who got beat constantly. Ended up being an All Conference corner because they played him so much and he learned the position. So maybe that can happen. But right now, 
Ayanacho could not be in there. He is a defensive liability that just... And worse than that, after the game, he didn't seem like he cared that he sucked. And that that's hard for me to take as a fan. Because uh, you're down there. You're in the locker room a, with these A guy guys. who doesn't... Because you asked DeForest Buckner, you asked uh, Rodney Hardrick. They were so pissed at what happened in that, in that game. And they were holding certain people accountable. They were holding themselves accountable that they maybe didn't demand as much. But they yeah. were holding people accountable because they weren't getting their job done. And I know... That one of those guys was was Ayanacho, and he didn't seem to care too much. And that you know that's a that's something you don't like to see as a fan. You want to see a game like that. You want to see your guys just pissed off, unhappy, and you know you move on from it the next day. But after the game, that's the kind of mentality I like to see my guys have because it tells me that they're in it to win it. And right now, I don't know that everybody's there in it to win. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. I hope that answers some of your questions, Exile. And another thing is just poor tackling. My goodness. And and how much is that on the coaching staff as opposed to the players? The players are the ones that have to make the tackles. Uh, most, but man, of it, most of it's on the coaching staff. Don't you feel like, I, I don't know, I can't remember. Was it Lombardi that said, like, you know, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was talking about basically there's like three basic things in football. And it's like tackling and then like a couple of things. I can't remember exactly the quote. Obviously, I'm butchering it right now. But he said if you have those three, if you have the foundation Everything else can fall into place and can cover up a lot of other issues that you have. I mean, the play they, ends with a tackle. Like that's what the play ends. <laughs> so it's crazy. It, it it is the most basic thing. It's not exactly the most basic thing to learn, but it's yeah. what it's the most important thing to learn. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. John and Salem's been waiting on hold patiently. John, thanks for uh, waiting on hold. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, we're doing all right, my friend. How are you doing? You you've recovered from that game? Um, yeah. I, um. For the most part, uh, the previous caller actually took most of the words out of my mouth. Um, you can recruit the highest players you possibly can, and you can get the best players you possibly can, but it doesn't matter because if you can't coach them, they're still going to suck. And it, it sounds like it, it, it's a big issue because these guys should be better than the previous guys before them, and they're not. And I think that that is truly a coaching issue when it comes to the defense. Now the offense is not is a completely different story because you got a team that was spoiled rotten by one of the best players ever to play college football, and because of that, you decided to change your concept of the offense and kind of start to throw the football more than you used to when before you had that guy. And I think it's more of an issue that we need to start getting to the point where we're running the football more often. Because we used to be like a pure running team, and then we would pass very not as much as what we are doing now, and it seems like we're getting kind of pass-happy. Now, granted, that game was a little bit different because we were behind by so many points, but it feels like we're kind of becoming this pass-happy team rather than the traditional let's run the football. Yeah, John, thanks for the call. Uh, I I will say this, that I I get where he's coming from. I I do think, though, that the pass – is predicated on the run for Oregon, correct? The pass is predicated on the run. At least that's how it should be. You know, establishing the run game for Oregon is everything. Yeah, some teams you run to, or some sorry, some teams you pass to open up the run. It's not that way for Oregon. You run to open up the pass. And if you can't pass with regularity, then you're not going to be able to establish any sort of run game. So it, it is very important that that gets fixed. Four one seven seventy five seventy five. If you're on hold, stay there. We're way over clock. We got to get to break. Eugene, Sam, stay on hold. 
Our hearts will go on, and we'll go on to the next segment, and we will take your call on the other side. 417-7575. What's the biggest problem you see with the Ducks? What needs to be fixed ASAP? John just called in, talked about the running game. They did stray a little bit in that game, but when you get down by so many points, what are you going to do? Royce Freeman, average five and a half yards of carry, but only tall- per carry, but only tallied 77 yards in the game. That should tell you something about where the run game went. It's Perkins and Ringer. It's Ducks Gridiron here on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Perkins and Ringer back with you here on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Ducks Gridiron. (laughs) All right, I don't know if this is radio safe, so let's just, uh, there we go. Yeah, perfect. All right, let's go back to the phones at 417-7575. Sam's called in in Salem. I do have a couple stats uh, comparing, by the way. Uh, A couple, a pair of games. I looked up a pair of games during Chip Kelly's, the 2010 Championship run, two big games, and then Oregon's two biggest games of the season so far, the run and passing discrepancy. So I will, uh, I'll reveal those in just a moment. But Sam's called in in Salem. Sam, welcome to Ducks Great Iron here on 750 The Game. Yeah, hey, thanks, guys. I think you guys do a great job. You're a great combination. Uh, keep it up. Um, so going back to something that the one caller, a couple callers before said, and Ring kind of followed up on, and it's about Don Pelham. You know, Don's been around the program, obviously, for a long time as a player and a coach for, what, since, like, the early 80s. And as a linebacker coach, he seemed to be a really great coach, and we always had great linebacker units. What has happened all of a sudden where, you know, like, he's not a great coach anymore? I don't know if I quite understand that. And where are the position coaches in this, and are they responsible for some of this? Um I know that Neil is a great defensive back coach, but I'm kind of wondering if there's not something more to the story. Yeah, that's interesting, Sam, and thanks for the kind words, by the way. We appreciate it. It opens up a line at 417-7575, and Sam brings up a good point. We were actually, its he must have read our minds, we were talking about this during the break, Ringer, that one thing that we've noticed as well is not only has uh, the defense as a whole look sloppy, but the linebackers especially don't look as uh, coached up as when Pelham was coaching specifically that group. Yeah, uh, you. there's a definite drop-off between Nick Aliotti to Don Pelham and then in the linebacker situation from Don Pelham to Eric Shenander. I don't exactly know what it is about the Aliotti to Don Pelham situation that has just been not a good fit, but I'll say that Eric Shenander was not originally brought in to be a linebacker's coach. He was a defensive line coach. He, that's what he was doing in Philly. I mean, I don't remember if that was his exact position, but that was his main position group. When I worked with him at Oregon, he was a GA assistant, and he worked entirely with the defensive line. So my guess is he's just not equipped to work with the linebackers, and so that's probably a position that you'll see get switched up here in the end. Um, for people saying that Don Pelham should be fired, I do want to point out that he is the recru- the recruiting co- coordinator for the Ducks. And some people might have the opinion that, well, Oregon's not getting the recruits they need. It's like, well, Oregon did get guys like Royce Freeman and DeAnthony Thomas and Braylon Addison and Byron Marshall and Marcus Mariota. He is the reason that they got a lot of these guys. All so under his I, watch. I don't think that it'd be the wisest decision to just get rid of a guy who has been in the program for 20-plus years and who means so much to the recruiting level. But 
I, I will say I'm not against the idea of demoting him back to his former position. Yeah, if he's willing to do that. And here's the problem, you know, what Sam brought up and a question he had was, why has there been a fall-off? Why hasn't he been able to maintain as much success as a defensive coordinator as he did a linebacker's coach? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot more responsibility. And that was something Pelham talked about last year, was that was a big adjustment for him, was getting used to all the other things that he now has to deal with as a defensive coordinator. There's, you know, you're not just dealing with one group of guys here. You're not just dealing with, what, eight or nine guys. You're dealing with the entire defense. You're making the decisions. You're telling your coordinators what to do. And obviously, at least so far, it, he hasn't quite lived up to the expectations. Now, it's only how long now? What, a season and a half since he's been at the helm? I mean, don't you give him a little more time? His seat does certainly feel warm, but I feel like you need to give him a little bit more time. Well, I mean, it does you no good to get rid of him during the season. So, yeah. yes, you at least see this out through the end of the season. But I do think that you need to evaluate things. Is, are you getting better with him in that position? If not, he's probably not the right person to be in that position. Plus, as we know, when a program struggles, a team, who goes first? An assistant coach. Always the assistant. A coordinator. They, they shake things up. You, yeah. you saw it at Texas a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, Texas doesn't look like a very good team. They they shook it up. It seemed like they're a little bit better offensively, but yet they still lost the last two games. And they should fire their kicker coach, whoever that is, because they've lost off the foot of a, a punter and a place kicker. Correct. 417-7575. Eugene and Corvallis has called in. Eugene, welcome to Ducks Gridiron 8-10 to 10 here every Tuesday on 750 The Game. Dark, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, that's an interesting accent, Eugene. What, where are you from? Corvallis? Excuse me? Sorry, go on. Ducks. You want to talk about the Ducks? Are you making fun of my voice? No, I'm not. Ducks, you want to talk about the Ducks? Yeah. Okay. Fire what do you want away. to talk about, Eugene? All right. Well, look, I'm a big fan of the show. I've been listening to you for a long time, ever since like 5 o'clock this afternoon. And... Well, you said that Lombardi quote, man. You freaking nailed it on that Lombardi quote, man. Well, how'd that go again? Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, I can't remember, Eugene. Sorry. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to rack my brain for that one. Something about football and tackling. Well, see, man, Chenando, what's the linebacker coach, Chenando? His name he, is Chenander. All right, whatever. He needs to figure his stuff out because... I feel like Crazy Mike could do a better job than he's doing with the linebackers right now. That is easily the weakest group of the defense. I feel like they don't care no more. I feel like Don Pelham could play better linebacker than what they're playing right now. So the linebackers are a big problem for you, Eugene. Yeah, I feel like that right now at least. I mean, the secondary, it's not good, man. It's not good. Don Pelham could play better safety right now. I don't even like Don Pelham very much. I think he's too mean. But they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Just give them some time. You got so hard on them all the time. You're all so negative. That's true, Eugene. I, I apologize. Uh, are you a Beavers fan? I'm naturally pretty conflicted. Um, I am kind of a Beaver fan because by osmosis being out here in Corvallis. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. But I tell you what, the Beaver fans, man, they're, they're so high maintenance. You know, you Duck fans, they know blue collar. You know, Duck fans know blue collar. If anybody knows Duck fans, they know what it means to hard work, you know? Not not be given anything for free. Beaver fans, they just want everything for free. You know, this new Valley Football Center, all that, all this shine and jazz, all this edge, speed, this spread offense, you know, they think everything's given them for free. Duck fans know what it is to work hard, you know? 
Okay, Eugene. Well, thanks for calling in. Uh, please call oh. back another time. I think this is the first time you and I have spoken on air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, man. Uh, best of luck to you, and uh, keep keep reciting Lombardi. It's working out. <laughs> right. Eugene and Corvallis. I didn't mean to make fun of his accent. I just I wasn't sure. What's funny is you were watching an episode of King of the Hill before, <laughs> and all I could think of was Boomhauer that entire yeah that, that entire call. I mean, he makes some good points. With the and, dang old ducks. Yeah, I, they, <laughs> and they just want stuff handed to them. They don't know how, know how to work hard. Oh boy, four one seven seventy five seventy five. That opens up a line. Eugene and Corvallis. How do you go around with that name? That's tough. Okay, I'll Is he look really up from the, Corvallis? I mean, what do you think? You know what? I'm going to look up that Lombardi quote right now. During the break, it's in a book that I'm reading. During the break, I'm going to look up that quote and I will read it on there. I also have those stats, uh, Ringer, the passing, pass-to-run discrepancy for Mark Helfrich compared to Chip Kelly. We'll talk about that and more. Perkins and Ringer here on The Game. Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 1029 The Game. Perkins, a back with you. Going to give you a Ducks Rewind. Brian Griggs puts that together every week. Hey, before I get to these stats, okay, here's the quote, Eugene and Corvallis. It was his, this is a football quote. He would go into camp, he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would then stress the fundamentals. Tackling, blocking, etc. So that's what I was trying to reference because it wasn't an exact quote outside of the this is a football, but then the whole point was getting back to basics. This is a football. This is what it looks like. These are the fundamentals, and I feel like that's what's lacking right now at Oregon, especially defensively. I obviously got a little sidetracked and brain farted what I was supposed to be talking about, but there you go, Eugene. That's the quote from Lombardi that I'm referring to. I don't think you actually said the quote. (laughs) He said... Well, no. Here's the thing. I, the, all, the only thing that's in the quote is this is a football. He says, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he goes on to talk. So the, the, what I was reading you during the break was more of a um, loose interpretation, okay. if you will, of what he gotcha. would say. Gotcha. Okay. I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, real quick, before we get to the Ducks Rewind and uh, before I get these stats, Sports Illustrated has Utah number one in their power rankings after drubbing Oregon. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think it's accurate. I, I can understand if they're basing it off of what they have seen, but I just I have a hard time believing that this Utah team is that good. I just don't see it. If, it's, if you have no passing attack, and I know based on what we saw on Saturday, it's hard for me to justify that, but coming into the game, they had no passing attack, and I don't think that that's going to suit them well as a through the Pac-12. I think that, that they're going to get eaten up by somebody, Probably multiple teams. I mean, that's a Pac-12 South that likes to throw the ball. It's a Pac-12 South that has some pretty good teams down there. I want to see what happens when they face a UCLA, when they face a USC, when they face Arizona. But I would have to say I don't think that they're number one team. But I understand based off what they saw that they might want to give them the number one spot because probably the most convincing win so far this season. Well, at least... um... At least they're living in the moment, not based on last season like Ohio State. It was not look good. Even the, even though they won comfortably over the weekend, I watched the first half of that game. It was not great. Second quarter got better, but they don't look free-flowing. Anyway, uh, so here's a couple quick stats. Someone was complaining that the Ducks run the ball more now than in Chip Kelly's area. Now, this is a very small sample size. I don't have time to go through every Chip Kelly game compared to Helfrich. But in the, I, I picked out the two games that mattered this year so far, Michigan State and... Uh, in Utah, because the other two games, 
are, the stats would be very skewed, correct? Because you're going yes. up against teams that you're blowing out of the water. So, against Michigan State, Oregon ran the ball 43 times and passed 39. Pretty much 50-50. Against Utah, Oregon passed 30 times and ran the ball 40 times. Pretty sizable difference. Chip Kelly, this is I'm taking from two games in the 2010 season that were relatively big. Earlier in the year, Stanford, who was ranked high at the time, I believe they were top 10 that season. Oregon ran the ball 51 times, and they passed 29. And then I went to the championship game. <laughs> Oregon ran the ball 32 times, but passed 41 in the championship game. And that was a close game. Now, Oregon got beat up in the trenches, as we know. Darren Thomas threw a pair of picks, the knee down, all those things. We remember everything that happened in that game. Are you surprised at all? I mean, those numbers don't really surprise me that much, but in the game where they were struggling against Auburn, they ended up going to the air a little bit more. Well, I think what the caller said is he is disappointed that they don't run the ball more. Yes. Not that they're, and that they're passing so much. I, I, so I don't think that's quite what those stats in say. In the championship game, they I, passed well, 41 yes, times. That's because they were down and they had to come back. So you had like two minutes to work that's with. You're going, to, you're going to have to pass. But, and it's the same thing against but if you go back to the stand, But if you go back to the Stanford game. Yeah, 51 to 32. Like that, I think that's more what he'd like to see. So and that's more what I would like to see as well. So, you, so in the Michigan State game where things were close and back and forth, you would have liked to see a 51 to 32 discrepancy as opposed to a... A 37 runs to 32 passes. Well, if they have that many pass plays, that probably means they're going to win. So, in one way, yes. Yeah. 417-7575. So, there definitely is a discrepancy there, um, obviously, between Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich in that tiny sample size. All right. Before we go to break, let's play the Ducks recap. Brought to you by Brian Griggs, who does a fantastic job with this. It's the Ducks recap against Utah. I apologize. Presented locally by Portland Metro Toyota Dealers. Toyota, let's go places. You know, our reaction is, is what matters to this, how we how we come together, the voices that we listen to that, that really matter in terms of, of how, how you respond to a situation like this. Aaron Marshall is deep. This ball is going to go to Marshall about a yard deep out to the 5 to the 10. Right through the middle of the 20. 25 gets to the outside. A man to beat at the 50. Down the right side of the 40. Still on his feet. Finley flags come flying in as he goes down inside the 35-yard line. Back all the way to the 25. My mistakes. I see my heart cave in. I got my scar heart. First down to the one. Here's Adams with the ball to snap. Going to throw a little screen into the right side. It is going to be inside. Did he get there? Did he get there? Did he get there? Touchdown, Oregon! with Freeman to his right, and Jeff on the stamp, back to throw again, rolls right, lots of time, downfield, got a man, caught, out of bounds, all the way at the Utah 40-yard line, Charles Nelson. And Lockie sends one of those in motion, that's Addison, back to throw, little swing pass to Addison, can he get there? He can, Addison, touchdown Oregon! 
Wilson. I mean, we got to look ourselves in the mirror tonight, um, figure out what we performance uh, we put out there on the field. And here's Lockie again to throw off a little bit of play action. Looks left, wants to go deep down the middle and picked. Intercepted at the 25 to the 30. Back to the 40. As Wheeler will boot this in very, very high wobbly spiral. It's going to be caught on the right-hand side. Totally away from everybody. This is going to be returned for a touchdown. Inside the five, touchdown Utah. The biggest thing right now is just we need to get back to our, the culture of Oregon football. We need to display that tonight, obviously, and we're just going to fix the culture, find the holes, and, and plug them up a little bit. Here's the give to Benoit. Nope, Ali Kep going to go outside, needs a couple of blocks, and will score. How about Tyler Ali? Receivers on the outside gave him that pass. That was the key right there, Jerry, is not only did he get outside with a nice little fake to the inside, and Utah bringing a lot of players on the inside, but it was the blocking. It was two on two on the outside. Oregon's receivers locked up with the DBs, and Taylor Alley gets it in. Seconds tick off, and Utah will fly home tonight feeling a whole lot better about themselves. They are off to a great start. 1-0 in the Pac-12, and more importantly, a definitive 1-0 as they socket to the Ducks 62-20 at Autzen Stadium here on this late September evening. Get in there. Get in there. It's Tuesday night. And Oregon has scored a touchdown. Time to break down the upcoming battle. Can you believe it? Believe Talking it. X's and O's with the coaches, players, and experts. Welcome to Ducks Gridiron with Brian Perkins and Eric Ringering on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 7.50 and 102.9 the game. Well, thank you, voiceover guy. It's Perkins and Ringer back with you here on 7.50 and 102.9 the game. Uh, Ringer, final hour. We're going to go around the Pac-12 in the final half hour. Conference call was today. A lot of coaches talking. Going to kind of react. It was an interesting weekend around the conference outside of Oregon. But uh, yesterday, now you were gone. Yesterday was Blazers Media Day. You were over at the, uh, was it the Moda? You were over at the Moda. So you're doing that. And I had a chance, it was a short window, but I had a chance to talk with Anthony Newman. So, I'm sure he was extra fiery this time. Uh, he was a little bit fired up. So I want to reset that interview. And um, I started out by just basically telling Anthony, I don't even know where to begin with this interview after the beatdown by the Utes. <laughs> is, is there a lot to talk about? Maybe not. Maybe we should just uh, start over, you know, just uh, <laughs> have him redo the game. That game didn't count. Throw it out the window. Kind of how you do the restart button on your PlayStation. Like, uh, now this game is not working. Let me start over again. So... But uh, that can't happen. There's a lot of work to be done, uh, but this team is still very good, still very early in the season, and uh, they'll be just fine. They'll be just fine. Uh, and I am curious. So 62-20, to 20, it's a blowout, obviously. One of the worst home losses in history. Not the worst, but close. I, it does feel like, though, I, you know, Utah did feel like they controlled the game in virtually every aspect. But at the same time, Anthony, it also felt like, to a certain extent, 
it was one of those what can go wrong did go wrong type of situations. Exactly right. It's, it's when uh, you know you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and everything that you're doing that day uh, doesn't work. You go out to cut the grass, the lawnmower doesn't work. You know you want to go in and watch some TV, the remote control doesn't have batteries, and you don't have any batteries in the house. I mean, all those things. It's just like one thing after another. Uh, very frustrating. I mean, you know, Tom Hackett, their good punter, he punts the ball. Every time he punts the ball, it gets inside the five-yard line because it's rolling. I mean, you know, uh, it's just, it was just a strange evening. And uh, give credit to Utah. They played good. I mean, they are a good football team. You know, I, I don't think they're better than Oregon, uh, but they were on that night, and they played better in, in, in all three phases. Uh, offense, defense, special teams, and I think uh, Oregon's coaches were outcoached as well. Yeah, and l- let me ask you about the, uh, the the Oregon offense real quick. Vernon Adams, 2 of 7, 26 yards, has the touchdown. Jeff Lockie comes in. Um, obviously, we have a quarterback controversy here uh, down in Eugene. What did you think of the play of Lockie, though, coming in? He had that opening drive, if you will. Uh, his first drive looked great, and the crowd was chanting his name and all these things. And then after that, he throws two interceptions. What did you think about his play overall, and and do you think that he will be the starter here going forward? No, not now. I mean, I, I, again, everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody deserves a uh, a fresh start, meaning start over. I mean, you know, that that was a team loss. It wasn't just a quarterback loss. Yeah. Yes, Adams didn't play well at the beginning. It looked like he was off. Looked like he was not in sync. Um, he was in the pocket at times, couldn't see down the field, and maybe that's because of his height. He's only 5'10", 5'11", you know, can't sing, see among the trees. Uh, and then, you know, when you saw Lockie get in the game, they rolled Lockie out on the edges, but they didn't do that with Vernon Adams, so didn't give Adams a chance to, to be more successful throughout the game. They pulled him pretty pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Lockie did well. I, I think he did what a backup is supposed to do, but you can't turn the ball over as well. You have to protect the football. You know, a lot of times when you're a backup, you get one chance, one chance to shine, and your mistakes are going to be just exploited if, if you keep making mistakes and you can't make those type of, type of mistakes of turning the ball over as a backup. So that hurt him a little bit. I think. I think if he didn't have those interceptions, yeah, he might say, "Hey, there might be a, a, a deal with this, uh, the quarterbacks are going to compete for a starting job." But no, I, I think it's still Vernon Adams. I, I think that he needs to get back in there, you know, dust the rust off if he was rusty, or you know, get his mind straight, throw the finger out the window. I, I'm, I'm not sure. But let's also let's also talk about the offensive line. They didn't give them, either quarterback, a lot of time to throw the football. I mean, there was five sacks in the game. There was a lot of hurry-ups. So the offensive line played poorly. And then you look at the quarterback play, and you're like, well, God, the quarterbacks did terrible. Well, they didn't have time to throw the football. Uh, so that hurts as well. Did you agree with the uh, the coach's decision to pull Adams so early? Well, it, sometimes it's the coach's feel. You know, you, you, you watch your kid play, and you go, you know what? He doesn't have it. He just doesn't look right. You know, I'm going to pull him right now. If, or you go, let let this kid play through it. Mark just said, I'm just going to pull this guy right now and get Jeff Lockie in the game and try to, you know, provide a spark. Uh, that's his decision. Who, who knows? I mean, yeah. there's no there's no right or wrong answer when you pull a kid, honestly. I mean, because how do you know? And uh, I think there was just a feel that the coaching staff had that said, you know, a couple of, 
uh, Vernon's throws, when he scrambled out of the pocket, he was really, you know, they're really short throws. And so you're like, he is really off. I'm going to pull him right now, you know. Yeah, and, and I am curious, too. He's Anthony Newman joining us here on Ducks Gridiron. You know, with Vernon, uh, he looked indecisive, a little bit timid running the ball. Does the injury play into that, do you think, the fact that he hasn't been in the system as long? I mean, what do you make of his play so no. far? I feel like the fact that he just hasn't been with the team for that long could definitely play a factor, especially when you're going up against a tough Utah defense. No, because he played well versus Michigan State. I mean, he played well. He did some good things against some other teams that when you saw him as a quarterback, his progression and how he looked at the field and how he played as a quarterback, the, the technique from a quarterback standpoint, he's been playing fine. This game he played unlike a quarterback. He didn't play well. I mean, that's, it's just the bottom line. So now you get him an, give him another chance to say, okay, let's get in there and, and do your thing because he is a good quarterback. He can play. He just looked, for some reason in this game, looked like he just was not – very comfortable in the pocket, wasn't, uh, you know, throwing the ball uh, like we've seen him throw before. I mean, we, we, we've seen him play well. Everybody was like, oh, God, Vernon Adams pretty good. Now he has that one bad game. People say, well, I don't know if he's very good. I don't know if he's been in the system long enough. No, he just – it was a bad day, just like everybody else, just like the defense, just like uh, – well, the defense has had a few bad weeks in a row. <laughs> but <laughs> – but just like everybody else, the offensive line, I think that was the worst I've seen the offensive line play all year. Never seen them play that bad. So, you know, let's give them a mulligan also. Hey, start over, learn from your mistakes, and move forward, just, just like the quarterback. Just hit the reset button, right? Yes, exactly. And he's Anthony Newman joining us. Anthony, of course, uh, look, taking a look at the defense, your specialty, right? You, you played safety, of course, in the NFL. Yeah. Um, what did you see from the secondary? It's been getting a lot of criticism since this game. I mean, I, I have to say, watching that game, Travis Wilson looked at times like a Heisman candidate, and guys were so open, um, he didn't have to throw the spot into very, the, the ball into very tight spots. Um, what did you make of the secondary uh, in general during this game? Well, it's, it's tough. To, it's, it's hard for me to, to, to talk about, criticize, because I'm criticizing – you know, uh, a guy that's like my big brother and Don Pelham, and uh, defensive coordinator. Yeah. I, I think he may be, you know, he's going to be on the hot seat, no doubt about it. I'm going to speak the truth. Uh, he's, um, you know, he's been, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's something that's going on with that defense that I think there's equal blame to go around with the coaches and the players. And I, and I give more to the players and the coaches. Now, I might be biased. I might be saying this to protect, you know, my good friend and John Neal, also the secondary coach, trying to protect him as well. Because I know at times when you tell certain players, okay, this is what you need to do, you have to be there, this is the gap that you need to be in to make this play, this is the communication that you have to have on the field to make a play, and now the coach, that's all he can do. The player has to execute it. The player has to perform that on the field uh, and do it with, with perfection. Well, we're not seeing that done. So sometimes you go, well, now the coach is the scapegoat because <laughs> these guys are terrible and the players are not doing their job. You know, I don't see communication going on before the play. The communication is the biggest thing in football, speaking from a defensive standpoint. It's communication before the snap, communication during the snap, and there's communication after the snap. Before the snap, you're talking to each other about who has who, alert for motion, alerts for this, don't be surprised on a football field. Know it's going to happen before it's happened, before it happens. So that's that's the guys in the back end, the linebackers and DBs, talking to each other, pointing at each other, moving their hands around. 
And then as the ball snaps, there's communication. I got this guy, I got this guy, I got him, I got him. And you're running with the guy, you're making a play. And then the communication after the play is, hey, good job, you know, and all the talking. Well, when I see the defense line up, Brian, they don't say anything. They just line up and they got blinders on and they're looking straight ahead. There's no talking whatsoever, none at all. And I know John Neal, the secondary coach, is pulling his hair out. I, I guarantee you that because there was all new starters in the secondary yesterday, uh, on, on Saturday night. Yeah. You know, he had two new defensive backs starting. So he's trying to figure out, he's trying to say, I don't know what I have. I'm just throwing guys in there now because no one else is getting the job done. And Anthony, do you think that, and just staying away from the coaches then in general, because like you said, if, if there's no communication on the field and the players, I mean, that needs to be fixed from a player standpoint. Is that a like a lack of leadership? Is there not maybe a, a, a one player on the defensive side that is necessarily standing up in a huddle saying or, or whatever, saying, guys, we need to communicate? Is, is that kind of an issue, do you think, that someone hasn't really stepped up on the defensive side as a leader? Well, we don't know that because we're not in practice. Yeah, we, we 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 can't be there. We don't. We're not. We're not in the locker room, hearing who's talking, and during the games on the sideline, do people watch the sideline? I, I don't watch the sideline. I don't know when when the defense comes to the sideline, who's talking to who. I, I just see guys sitting down, getting water and resting. And well, well, I guess Anthony. Talking. So, well, so my thing is this: yeah. there has to be a leader that that has to speak up and, and, and say, "Okay, guys, hey, hey, don't worry about it. Let's move forward." If that could take place in the huddle on the field, it could take place as guys coming off the field, high-fiving guys. But when you look at these players, DeForest Buckner is the best football player on that team. Yeah. Okay. Defensive-wise, well, he's not—he's not a real. He don't speak a lot. He—he—he he, he does it by example. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. He, he's not a real vocal guy. Okay. Rodney Hardwick has the probably the most snaps at middle linebacker or at, at, on the defense than anybody. He's been here forever. But he's not that true type leader type guy uh, because I don't know if he has the accolades to to prove that people don't look at him like well you're not an all American linebacker so I you know you're just you're just here doing your job so I don't know how they're looking at other people who are veterans as leaders yes you're right Brian there needs to be a leader there needs to be a guy that needs to step up but I think a lot of these guys are just so young and some of the guys are, who might be juniors. You know, it's their first time playing a lot, first time starting. Yeah. So they don't have that experience. They don't have that leadership that 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 I'm going to talk to these guys and, and they're going to follow me. But at the same time, get this. If you become that leader, you need to lead by example. You need to go ahead and make sure you do your job. And the only guy, there's three guys on the on defense right now that I think are playing well. That's DeForest Buckner, Alex Balducci, and Tyson Coleman. Those three guys, Tyson Coleman's playing good. He's playing really good football right now. You know, those three guys are, are, are doing their job. I, I, I watch them, spotlight them, check them out. DeForest Buckner is an All-American. He's going to be the top five pick in the draft. Guarantee you that right now. This kid's a baller. But everybody else needs to pull pull their weight, and that's not happening. That's Anthony Newman. He's going to join us next segment. I was able to catch up with him earlier. It's Perkins and Ringer here, Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. You're home for Oregon Ducks football. When I first saw you, I saw love. You're listening to Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Ah, 98. Hell of a year. Hell of a year. And after all this With you till 10 o'clock here on 750, 102.9 The Game. Going to go around the Pac-12, Ringer and I, in just a few moments, but... 
want to listen to the last part of our conversation with Anthony Newman, and I was telling him, it feels like now in, in the five seasons the Utes have been in the, the Pac-12, that they have seemed to adapt better to being in a power conference, certainly much more than a team like Colorado. Yeah, the two teams, Utah, no doubt about it, is the team that's kind of like, wow, wow, they're good. They're helping the conference by winning tough football games, beating other non-league teams, and uh, holding up their own in the Pac-12. I don't think there's anything real special. And, and I say that because they don't have that it factor with that one player. They don't have that, that guy. Now, Devontae Booker is a great running back. He, I mean, you know, Oregon still held him in the last two years under 100 yards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, to me, all, all American guys who, who are just all world or, or that it, fa- it factor, they're special. They're going to get theirs. They're going to get 150 yards regardless. You know, I mean, that's, that's the type of Reggie Bush, you know, LaMichael James. They're going to get their yards. He, you know, we shut him down a couple times. So, yeah. I, you know, so that's something missing. The quarterback position, everybody's been up was high on Travis Wilson when he first got there. All American. He's going to be all this. He's been injured. He's been in and out. He was, you know, fighting for a starting spot, and now he's playing pretty good. They don't have no great receivers. They're a solid football team that is very well coached. But winning the South, no, they don't have they don't have the players. They're, they're, there's no way. I mean, I, I you know I think they're fourth at best. Yeah, uh, but they're a solid football team that if you don't come to play four quarters against them, they'll beat you because they don't make many mistakes. That's how they're coached. Winningham is a great, great coach. He's really good, and that team plays like you know they understand their responsibilities and, and they execute. It's funny. Who would have thought that Devontae Booker's biggest uh, play would have been the touchdown pass? I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> well, now here's the thing about it. Uh, and I know I'm running out of time, but you know that that's what bothers me with this defense right now. They're giving up the explosion plays for touchdowns. There's like four of them. Yeah. That that no now that pass that that running back pass is one of them. I'll give them that because that's always there's there's always some kind of trick play that you get uh, a sucker punch. Now that's going to happen. Okay, give them that one. But the other ones, okay, Brian were were, were to me uncalled for. There were you know a cornerback jumping the flat area. You know, uh, you know, near the line of scrimmage when a guy's running deep in his zone, so you got a linebacker in the corner standing at the line of scrimmage, and a guy's running deep. That's miscommunication. You got another guy where to force Buckner, they're trying to do some kind of look like zone dog, where they they drop the defensive lineman out in coverage and have some, somebody blitzing, but somebody didn't cover the deep area. That's communication. You know, it, those type of things keep happening when you got a quarterback run a sixty-yard run, not for a touchdown, but close. Somebody has a quarterback. Somebody's not doing their job. Yeah. It, that's that's the explosion plays that are killing this, this Ducks defense right now. Yeah, Travis Wilson, it's, it's kind of funny watching him run. Uh, he, he's just he's such a tall guy, Anthony, that it's like, like on that play, he should have scored a touchdown, but he's like too tall and too slow, and he runs like like that awkward kid trying to catch the bus after school. Like... <laughs> But I guess it worked. I mean, he had 100 and, yards. But. And, the, and the guy had 100 yards against us. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I mean, I know that, that that run was 60, but come on. This guy, he's 6'7". He's, he's not a running quarterback, you know? That's yeah. the thing. And he, and he ran it. He ran it well. <laughs> <laughs> he's Anthony Newman joining us for a few moments more here on Ducks Gridiron 750 and 1029, the game. Um, Royce Freeman, you know, sophomore, how do you think his year has been so far against Utah? He has over 100 total yards, of course. He had uh, 77 on the ground and 46 through the air. 
and the receiving touchdown. What do you make of his play so far this season? He's playing great. I always say feed the beast. That's that's my my thing uh, with him because he's he's to me one of the best running backs in the Pac-12. He has his size. He's you know six feet, two hundred and thirty pounds. To me, this year he seems a little leaner. Uh, which is great because now he's avoiding contact. He's not trying to run everybody over. You just can't do that over time. You just your body won't take it. So now he's using his footwork. Which, when you have a guy that's two thirty that has great footwork, he's really hard to tackle because when you try to tackle this guy, you think he's going to run you over because he's so big. But then next thing you know, he shakes you and goes around you. So you always have to go at this guy and kind of get in a breakdown position. You got to buzz your feet. And then once you get in a breakdown position, you're sitting there, then he runs you over. So I yeah. mean, it, it's hard to deal with. Great vision, can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a great running back blocker. He, he picks up blitzes all the time, does a nice job of uh, picking, up, picking up blitzing linebackers. So he's doing his job. He's, he's doing a great job. You know, I like to see him get some more touches. Um, but I know sometimes because of the game, you know, they're trying to throw the ball to get, the, get some points on the board. Uh, you don't see that. But he's he's a solid football player uh, that's going to be really good, you know, in another two years. I don't know if he's going to last his senior year. I think he might be gone. But yeah. he, he's he's the man. I mean, he's he's no doubt the man. He's the guy that when you come in to play Oregon, you better stop the running game. You better start number twenty-one. Yeah, no doubt about it. Anthony Newman joining us. Um, okay, so around the last couple of days around the office, I've been talking with some Ducks fans, and they're concerned, Anthony, about this upcoming game against Colorado. And I keep saying, look, oh, please. look. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? I know, I know. <laughs> but look, it's it's, and I, I mean, I get it to a certain extent. Why it's kind of an over? It's obviously an overreaction to to the Utes' loss. But um, why don't you talk people off the ledge a little bit and maybe break down uh, why they shouldn't be worried about the Buffaloes, who have, by the way, already lost one game this season, playing virtually nobody through four games. Exactly. They haven't played anybody. You know, they lose to Hawaii. Hawaii, come on. I mean, give them credit. They've won a few games. Oregon is still a power football team. Oregon has – they have a lot of talent on this team. They ought to find a way to play better. And when you lose a game like – let me tell you this. When you lose a game like you just lost, I guarantee you during the week of practice, you're much more focused. During the week, okay, of the meetings that's going to take place, you're going to pay attention a little more. I would hate to be – the Buffaloes right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to face the Ducks right now after that loss. I want to catch the Ducks when they think they're high and mighty. When they don't, you know, take you when they take you lightly. Now they're going to look at you. The Ducks are looking at you like, okay, we're about to eat. Yeah, <laughs> and you're and you're next. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking too. Is I I just have a feeling that everyone's going to respond. You know, uh, oh, yeah. Columns defense, the offense. It's going to be. Uh, a beatdown. I think that I, I saw an article today. The Ducks shouldn't overlook Colorado. Well, I doubt that's going to happen since they just lost by forty at home. That's exactly. You yeah. just got so embarrassed in your house. You not. You don't think you're looking for redemption? And who's the next team that's up? The Buffaloes? <laughs> Come on. I mean, I mean, I just I, I've been there before, and I understand that. When you get embarrassed like that, I, I'm telling you, Brian, you practice so much harder. You just do every all the little detail things. And I wish you could do it all the time, but it's hard to do because you're, you're human. It's, it's human nature. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't happen. 
But now when you just, when you just got embarrassed and you're, you don't even want to watch TV anymore, you don't want to look at the paper, and they say they never do, but they do every now and then. You know, you're not looking at ESPN because you don't want to see something about the Ducks, or you see it, you turn it off because it's negative news. You, you want to go out and go, I've got to do something about this. This is, this is ridiculous. That's what the players are saying. So I don't know what person in, your, in the office is telling you, uh-oh, the Buffaloes are going to beat the Ducks. Please. <laughs> Please. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's what I've been trying to tell people is like, look, I, you know, college football playoff, whatever. The Ducks can still win the conference. I mean, yeah. they yeah. they lost to the Utes. The Utes are in the South. Yeah, the, the North yeah. is still relatively down. Now Cal has played well this season, and Goff is obviously tough, but still, Anthony, I just I look at their schedule and I go, it is still a generous schedule, and if they take care of business like we expected them to to begin the year they still have a chance to win the conference right no doubt now there's are there's some concerns here going forward of course yeah byron marshall Mm. the injury we don't know what's going on i mean you know i mean feel bad for him yeah yeah Uh, charles nelson you know he got banged up a little bit now he's a tough kid i know he'll play anytime you know but still those are those are explosive players that are, are key to the offense you know that that can really really help out you know, we still don't have Darren Carrington. He's still dealing with the suspension. So there's some, there's some key guys that, that are gone. But, there's so, again, there's so many weapons on this team. You know, mo- most teams have, you know, maybe two, you know, three. Oregon has like six or seven. So when guys get injured, other guys can step in and do their thing. That's, there's not enough footballs to go around for this football team. And when you have less guys and you only have three or four guys that you're dealing with, they can be maybe more productive now. So what would be your, before I let you go, last thing, what would be your message to Ducks fans right now? They're listening right here on Ducks Gridiron. What would you tell them going forward? Uh, be positive. You know, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Good things will happen to the football team. They will have a, they will have a successful season. But you just have to, to, to back them, support them. That, you know, that's a, we always talk about family. When, when you're down in the dumps, that's when you need your family. Yeah. That's when you need the support. You know, no, you don't need people jumping off the bandwagon. You know, and I always say this: we di- we didn't need people jumping on the bandwagon when we're winning, playing in national championships. Now all of a sudden, these guys are walking down the street with Oregon gear on. Never knew they were Oregon fans. Yeah. Okay, but now all of a sudden, you, you lose and get embarrassed. Now these people are jumping off the bandwagon, talking about how bad the Ducks are. But we didn't want you as fans anyway. Yeah. So we want the true fan that's going to back the Ducks, no matter if they're losing or winning. That's a true fan. And, and right now, you know, they need they need the support of the fans going, hey, hang in there, do your job, we got your back. It's funny you say that, Anthony. I'm a, I'm a big Seahawks fan. I have been my whole life. And, and obviously the same thing has happened over the last three or four years. And I saw a tweet uh, after the Green Bay game going, man, I, I don't know what it's like. I don't know how to feel. I've never, like, rooted for the Seahawks when they're 0-2. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. Hey, my dad used to take me, my mom and dad used to take me to the Seahawks games when I was little. We used to drive up there. They couldn't win a ball game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, remember that, I remember that a whole lot. They've come a long way, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still ingrained in most of us, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for your time, as always. I appreciate it. We'll talk with you next week, and, of course, we'll listen to you on Saturday for the Coors Light pregame show. Sounds good. I appreciate it. To quote Jim Rome, the clock is jacked. We'll be back around the Pac-12 next. Ducks Gridiron with you till 10 here on The Game. to Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. Perkins, we are back with you. 
The Ducks are living a semi-charmed kind of life right now. There it is. Boom. That happened. I like this. Uh, I like your music choice tonight, Ringer. Thank you. Do what I can. I appreciate it. This is a throwback. I'm sure we'll have some fun uh, with some retro music when they play Washington as well. Coming up a bit later in the season. Final uh, 20 minutes of the show here, Ringer. Uh, let's go around the Pac-12. The Cougars, guess what? They didn't have a chance to Coug it this week because uh, they had a bye week after facing Wyoming. They have the fun task of Cal, who's on a roll right now. That's exactly how you want to go in from a bye week is to <laughs> go against that ridiculous offense who's actually got a decent defense. And Cal year. in the top 20, AP top 25 now at 4-0 after the win on the road up at the University of Washington. Mike Leach talked about facing the Bears. Uh, a lot of points, a lot of back and forth. Uh, you know, we didn't get credit for a touchdown. We scored there at the end. Uh, you know, special teams, you know, wild stuff on special teams. Two kickoff returns for them, an onside kick recovered for us. I it was uh, yeah, it was pretty fast pace. It was Mike Leach. He's the weirdest guy. Like he started that guy. with how they got robbed, and he finished it with yeah, it was really fast pace. <laughs> Very odd. So Washington State. We'll we'll get into this game in a minute because the Cougars did have a bye week. Cal, like we said, beat the Huskies in Washington over the weekend. They're four and zero, top twenty five. Sonny Dykes talked about what he likes about his team this year. The thing I like about this team from day one, they've always wanted to just get better. And it's just been about the process of going out every single day and getting better, whether we're lifting weights, whether we're running, whether we're practicing, whether we're playing. They've always embraced that. You know, let's just improve today and make sure tomorrow we're better than we were today uh, mentality. And, and I think because of that, you know, we haven't talked about that kind of stuff. And we're certainly not going to talk about being ranked and we're not going to talk about any of this other than, you know, we have a chance to play a game on Saturday. And, um, you know, and, and we want to play big games. Well, I'm glad their offense works better than his phone. My goodness. What's up with Pac-12 you, coaches and I, terrible I was just going to say, do you think this happens with other conferences? Do they – do we just not offer good enough coverage for the Pac-12? Like, there are certain interviews, right? We won't name names, but there are certain people that are, you know, regulars on this station – whose phones are not very good. And, like, we know going in, it's like, okay, you're going to have to, you know, bump up the levels a little bit, this or that. Like, Sonny Dykes and Kyle Whittingham are the worst. But anyway, we digress. Uh, Ringer, what do you think about this matchup? Kyle got the win over the Huskies, which was pretty impressive. Um, they kind of staved off that that uh, second-half comeback there from UW on the road. I like Kyle. I think Goff is not only the best quarterback in the conference, hands down, but one of the best in the nation, as you do, I'm sure. Um, what do you think about this matchup? Last season, there were a lot of points. I have a feeling Cal is going to uh, run away. They're going to boat race the Cougs. Yeah, I I don't think the Cougs are nearly as strong as they were last year. I think Cal is finally strong after, what, five years or six years, something like that. I believe Cal is just going to smoke them this weekend. You could see Washington State put up some points towards the end, but I think that Cal will win handily in this one. And here's the thing. You know, Texas did drop 44 on them after kind of the, the change in offensive coordinator happened the week yes. before that, correct? So they dropped 44. Washington only scores 24. Um, Grambling and San Diego State combined for 21. Their defense, while it's still not going to be elite level, at least Ringer looks respectable, which has really been the issue for them. See, if you're Oregon, like this is the kind of team you kind of want to be right now. You, If you have a quarterback, you can deal with the defense not living up to a very good showing because – you don't need to. It, if you are ahead by twenty plus points, you can gamble. You don't. You don't yeah. need to stop teams. You just need to make sure that 
you're scoring more than them. It's not the ideal football philosophy, in my opinion, but that's how Oregon is built. And right now, they don't have a guy who they can lean on to do that. You have to be just good enough. Arizona State got blasted by that angry USC team on Saturday. My goodness, the Sun Devils with Berkovici at the helm, 2-2 two and two on the year. Todd Graham, though, not losing confidence. But I've got all the confidence in the world that our guys will respond. I mean, obviously, we're disappointed. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, obviously not, uh, uh, not, uh, you know, the discipline style that we've become accustomed to. We've been third in the country in three years taking care of the football of turnover ratio and, We've had, you know, we've had our struggles. That's what that's what's really has plagued us is turning the football over, and uh, we've got to get that righted. Uh, we had the best practice we've had all year, like I said. Arizona State's opponent, UCLA, still undefeated. They get the win over Arizona despite losing Miles Jack on defense. They look pretty good. Jim Mora, they've lost three key defensive players now this year, and Mora talked about how his team has been reacting to those injuries. Nobody blinks. Nobody panics. Nobody says, "Oh God, we're in trouble." They just go, oh, "Okay, great, well." Next guy gets an opportunity, and he's going to capitalize on it. I think that's what we've been able to do here. Uh, you know, we, we just don't – if you if you start taking the attitude of, oh, my God, here we go again, oh, another guy hurt, that's not going to benefit you. And our guys don't react like that. Our guys are competitors. And um, I also don't think they go, oh, man, he's hurt. Oh, this is my chance. I just think it's just, hey, man, if, if I'm called on to play, I play. And uh, I think that's helped us. That attitude. It's a good season for Jim Mora when he hasn't blamed a kicker yet for their teams, his team's woes. UCLA's in the top 10 once again this year, and um, Ringer, Rosen is the real deal at quarterback, no doubt about it. And I, I have to say this as well. We always, you know, for Heisman, it always seems like it's it's the quarterbacks and everyone else. This year, it's really been Fournette. It's been a running back heavy start to the season. But Rosen feels to me like a guy that if they can keep winning, they might sneak into that Heisman picture as one of the elite quarterbacks. Well, I mean, he's going to have his chances. He's going to go against a Stanford team, a Cal team, a Utah team, a USC team. He's going to have plenty of chances to showcase his skill set there. So I agree with you. I think Josh Rosen and Jared Goff are two of the absolute best, maybe even the two best in all the country right now. And Rosen's going to be there for a while. I do really like the kid from Georgia, Grayson Lambert. He's an absolute stud as well. Yeah, he's good. And um, Baker Mayfield, right down at uh, Oklahoma. Yes, he's, he's a, pretty good too. He's good, but he's not to the he's not their level. I don't think he's so. He's a nice story more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think he's a really good player. I mean, he's yeah. a high quality starter. But I, Josh Rosen, what I've seen from that kid, like he's ready for the NFL next year. Oregon's opponent this weekend, of course, Colorado. Mike McIntyre gave his thoughts on the Ducks. Oregon is really fast, really athletic, still their excellent football team. I know they had that hard game against Utah. Utah had some dramatic plays on special teams that kind of turned the tide. And, um, and Utah is a very, very good, mature football team. And uh, so uh, um, I, I think Oregon's still really, really, really good. The Buffaloes beat Nickel. Is it Buffaloes? Is it Buffalo? Yes. Okay. I want to make sure I didn't get like the, it's like a Buffalo Eye. Okay. The Buffaloes beat Nichols State. It just sounds weird, Buffaloes, for some reason. Beat Nichols State 48 to nothing. First shutout for that team since 2009. Three-game winning streak, first time for the school since seven, in the past seven seasons. So they're reaching some benchmarks, but Nichols State, very much so a pushover-type team. Uh, main concern for you going into this game against Colorado for Oregon? Main concern is that the Quarterback position is what we saw versus Utah. I don't think it's going to be. I this really seems like a get right game for Oregon. Like you get pounced. Well, the best thing for or the best recipe to get over something like that is an inferior opponent. And Colorado, although vastly improved over the last couple seasons, 
definitely an inferior opponent. 417-7575, final 10 minutes of the show coming up. We're going to continue to go around the Pac-12. We'll talk some Beavers. We'll talk Arizona. We'll talk Cardinal as well. Here on Ducks Gridiron, he's Ringer. I'm Perkins. This is 750 and 102.9 The Game. Ducks Gridiron on 750 and 102.9 The Game. I'll be your dream, I'll be your wish, I'll be your fantasy. I'll be your hope, I'll be your love, be everything that you need. I love you more with You know, it is possible, Ringer, that I still have this CD somewhere in my condo. I don't have it, but I will say I did buy it. I don't know if I bought it or got it as a gift, but I'm pretty sure half the songs we played, I owned a CD by that artist at some point or another. This was my wheelhouse, man. Oh, when yeah. you said 1998, I'm like, yes. That's I'm, I'm actually kind of disappointed we didn't get to some of the other songs. We might just have to play them again like next week, some of the ones we missed. Especially depending on what happens in Colorado. 417-7575, final five minutes of the show as Savage Garden brings us back in. What song do you want uh, going out then? Casey and JoJo. All right. Alex Moore's on it. He's on it. All right. Let's continue around the Pac-12. Arizona, we talked about it, got lambasted by UCLA. Coach Rich Rod, though, commented on how insane the conference has been so far this season. A lot of 500 records. Oh, I kind of thought that this was going to be a uh, kind of a crazy year in college football anyway, and I think that's here to stay. I think there's uh, you know so many good football players and uh, programs everywhere now that every week is a battle, and uh, particularly in a conference such as ours. The Wildcats will be taking on Stanford, of course, uh, beat down Oregon State on Friday. It was close for a half. David Shaw talked about three big stats that he looks for besides wins. So for me, there are there are three big ones. Third down efficiency, red zone efficiency, um, and first down efficiency. So I mean, those to me are, are the, the true, I mean, uh, and turnover battle. I mean, but that that one speaks for itself. There we go. David Shaw talking about some stats that he looks at. The stat right now that's most important is they have quality wins. Their only loss came on the road to a team that's ranked 16th in the nation. Uh, give me a prediction. Arizona, Stanford. The Cardinals get a little lucky. Solomon, I don't know his status, but I, if, if he plays, he'll be he's banged up. He's probably not going to play. So he's probably not going to play. I'll Scooby take, Wright's uh, not going to play. Yeah, I'll take Stanford in this one. I'm taking Stanford as well. I'm going to say not super high scoring. Yeah. Right around the 27-21 mark. The Beavers do have the bye week. They lost to Stanford 2-2 two and two going in. Gary Anderson did talk about his team a little bit. These kids are working hard. We are a work in progress. We're going to continue to be a work in progress, but uh, I expect us to prepare and walk out of the tunnel. I expect to win every game just like we talked about the first of the year, but um, I, I love the group of kids I have to coach, and it's a very good coaching staff, and we're going to continue to work like crazy to uh, you know, win football games. Beavers, give them a grade through their first four games, Ringer. I'll give them a B- minus because I get, they got owned by Michigan pretty bad. Michigan's turned out to be a nice, a, a good team, though. They're, they broke into the top 25, but I think that they have a lot of upside, and they have exceeded expectations through four games. Seth Collins looks like he's the quarterback of the future. I'm going to be more generous than that. I'm going to give them a B plus. I'm pretty impressed with what they've done. I'll take that Kalani Sataki defense over what I've got at Oregon. I really will. I, I think fair. that he's doing much better with much less. That team has 
you think about all the guys they lost last year with guys like Ryan Murphy, Obum Guachem, Sean Mannion, Teron Ward. I mean, nobody is on that team other than like Samalo and the the receivers. And they're two and two. And their losses are not bad losses. No, they're not. Michigan's both teams are in the top 25. And even though Stanford won by a comfortable margin, that did not feel like it did against it, Michigan. It, uh, looked, it was really close going into the second half. And they then the better the team well. won. They moved the ball well, especially in the first half. And it, they stopped Stanford multiple times in did. that first half. They did. It was good to see. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Thanks for the calls. Of course, you can check out our podcast as well on SoundCloud of Ducks Gridiron. Make sure to follow uh, Ringer on Twitter at Perkin at Ringering Forty Five and myself at Perkins Radio Thirteen. A big thanks to Alex Moore for taking care of business behind the scenes. Ringer, it's been fun. Next week, we'll Let's see. Let's do it again. Yeah, <laughs> no, we'll see. I'll be here. Fifty fifty. Every Tuesday, eight to ten p.m. during Ducks football season. It's been Ducks Gridiron here on seven fifty and one zero two nine. The game. Talk with you next time. Still, 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 still,